I did. I watched. Uh, I watched Tucker and. And you the stayed president. up after they all went to bed. You stayed up and wrote 32 pages and your right. ideas of what's going on in the world. Exactly. I wrote a little book. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I was, I was sawing they, logs. I have to say. I, I got guess a there sleepy. were a lot of people staying up afterwards, yeah. uh, trying trying to spin things in their yeah. favor. But uh, a lot of people uh, watched uh, Fox. But they also, a lot of people watched uh, Trump. Yeah, a you know, in alternate media or the coming media or whatever you want to call it. But that, that to me is um, uh, pretty, pretty amazing. But, <clears throat> you know, when the dust settles, the big question is uh, uh, what, uh, what has changed? What, what, what has been achieved by this? Have, have uh, many people changed their minds about what's happening? My first thoughts are that uh, sometimes changing their mind doesn't change their philosophy. Yeah. Because when you have interventionism, you could be all over the place and you can sound like you have different ideas. But if you're going to use the government to intervene in everything that we do, <clears throat> there's, there's really no significant change. But then there's also some practical changes. Some, some, some interventionists are for raising taxes on one thing, others on something else. So, well, when you hear these debates, uh, I, I watch the ones, uh, you know, the, the debates on, on, on Fox, but uh, that was, uh, uh, you, you know, same old. But uh, you, you chose to spend a little bit of time watching maybe where the real action was, at least where uh, you could, you know, vary the uh, emphasis uh, because uh, uh, Trump is ahead, Trump is way ahead, and it looks like. He didn't fall behind. I, I, I wonder if he had more people watch his show than the Fox did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we talked yesterday about Chris Christie and how he said, oh, Trump's a coward for not coming on and debating with us. <laughs> well, as usual, Chris Christie's political antenna are broken. Uh, and he was wrong because while they were, you know, blathering about, let's put on that first clip, here's what was happening in the real world, i.e. the world of former Twitter, now X. And I just clipped this a little bit before the show started. 197.3 million views of Tucker Carlson interviewing President Trump in his little cabin, uh, whatever it was. The most watched interview in the history of the world thus far. So sorry, Chris Christie, you got that wrong as usual. Trump felt like he didn't need to go on cable TV. He recognizes there are alternatives, and it turns out that his choice, of course, was the right choice in terms of reaching millions and millions of people. You know, in, in a way, uh, Trump could look at it in a practical sense. Well, if I go there, are they going to change my opinion? If I go there, am I going to change their opinion? Yeah. Are they going to hate me less because I go there? Or will they respect me more? And uh, after what he's had to go through in the last couple of years, uh, you know, obviously, when you can get an audience like that, why bother, why, why bother going there and playing those games? Because very much uh, they are, are games that they play, and uh, it's a... I, I think the part that annoys me the most, and yet this is what the people watch the most, is, is uh, the yelling and shouting and so-called fighting. Uh, I, I've never got a big kick out of that because I don't think it accomplishes anything. But overall, I think, uh, you know, uh, you might as well let people see how they act and let them make up their own mind. But I, I don't think they've 
solved any problems because I don't think they're going to see it the way we see it and say, hey, they're not going to say, hey, maybe Trump was right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's from the opposition uh, has ever said that, like maybe a right on this issue or this issue. So I think it's a... I, I think it was uh, something that was very, very important, but I don't think it made any major decisions other than it uh, looks like it boosted Trump once again. You know, uh, he chose uh, on the day before he was going to be indicted and uh, again. Yeah. So uh, there I had a few more things that they were going to accuse him of. And it's back to what I, I think said yesterday. When, when are they going to re realize that, uh, you know, attacking him and doing things and punishment and accusing of things and pretending to accuse him but not really doing it, that uh, the people aren't that dumb. Yeah. I think they're starting to wake up. Well, you mentioned that they were all fighting with each other in the regular debate. But the thing with the with the exception of Vivek Ramaswamy, they were all saying the same thing. Yeah. They all agreed on everything, yet they were pretending to fight over it, and that's what I think was insane. But I, I took a couple of clips, not too many, but I thought this first one was worth wa watching and listening to, because this, uh, go back to the first one, uh, is Trump and, uh, Trump and Tucker talking about why he decided to go on X slash Twitter instead of going to the debate. It's worth listening to. Go ahead and play that. Here we go. Because you spent a lot of your career in television. Yeah. You had a top show in television on NBC. Um, but you don't feel the need now running for president to do television, obviously. Do you think television is declining? Well, according to a poll that I guess we just saw, it just came out where it's down like 30, 35 percent. But I think they were talking, referring to cable. I think cable's down because it's lost credibility. MSNBC, or as they say, MSDNC, is so bad. It's so wrong what they write and what they do and what they say it's you know it's fake news as i said i think i came up with that term i hope i did because it's a good one it's not tough enough anymore it's corrupt news you know really what you do is call corrupt news so he's saying basically the cable news is irrelevant and i think he goes on to even talk about fox uh, ironically which hates trump now and which fired tucker carlson talk about sweet revenge going up against fox head to head and cleaning the floor with them you know We've talked uh, recently about the collusion between government and social media, but I think the collusion also goes to, you know, cable, you know, where they're going to spout a lot of government position. You take the war issue, for instance, and the welfare issue and, and the Federal Reserve issue. They're not going to do it. This is why what's happening now uh, with Twitter is very interesting. And uh, thank goodness uh, we still have... Uh, enough freedom to find an alternative outlet. That doesn't mean we should be, uh, you, you know, casual about it and not think about it because, because I think there will always, you know, uh, be a threat to this because uh, the people who are in charge of authoritarian government, they cannot stand the truth and they cannot stand competition. But so far, truth is uh, winning here, a battle here and there. Well, Trump won for sure because of the viewers. Uh, X slash Twitter won because they attracted an enormous crowd, enormous crowd and no glitches. Um, but I would say someone else that won was Rumble, was our partners on this show, and we're grateful to them. Uh, but Rumble was able to put Glenn Greenwald in a nice little sound room with everything branded, and he did some after 
uh, debate uh, commentary. He brought in some people. In fact, let's listen to that next clip where he's talking to Matt Gates about the debate. This is a fascinating conversation. And let me see, I, I forget how much we want to do, like a minute 14 of this, but it's really fascinating to see these two interacting. The clarifying parts of the discussion to the extent there was one involving policy was the section on Ukraine. There was one candidate and one candidate only emphatically saying we shouldn't be sending our money to Ukraine while we have all kinds of problems here at home, including with our own border, never mind the Ukrainian border. DeSantis, as Vivek kind of mocked him for, had his finger in the air saying, let's get the Europeans to pay more, which isn't really a position. To me, it seemed like a kind of Republican Party debate that could have happened in 2004, 2008, 2012, the kind of Republican Party before Trump changed it. What are these people doing when they look at the polling data, seeing that Republicans overwhelmingly don't want to send money to Ukraine and saying that they don't care, they want that money going anyway? Well, Glenn, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised that there's such a disconnect between the people on that debate stage, other than Vivek, and the typical Republican voter on the issue of Ukraine, because there's a similar disconnect with the United States Congress. Like, when we had a vote on just whether or not you demand that Joe Biden write down a plan for Ukraine, he could just write any words let like a celebrity jeopardy final answer any word would qualify and we only got a hundred votes for that to condition future aid on it everyone else said don't even demand a plan it's unpatriotic to ask for a plan from the biden administration just give all the money that hey, ukraine we uh, could go demands. on watching this because it was fascinating but hey i would just have a couple comments dr paul for how fascinating to see matt gates glenn greenwald apparently agreeing in the same room you know this is the new this is how things are changing, I think. A great progressive like Glenn, a, a maverick conservative like Gates talking about it. And what are they saying? They're saying, what on earth is going on? Poll after poll, and we talked about it so many times on the show. Poll after poll shows that Americans, especially Republicans, especially conservatives, want nothing more to do with Ukraine, full stop. So why are these candidates up here saying, we need to do more for Ukraine? And Gates comes in, well, why is Congress ignoring the will of the American people saying we need to do more for Ukraine? I think that was a great segment. Yeah, and, and you know, it gives me some encouragement to think that these guys uh, had to be exposed to government schools along the way. Uh, but they're also in they're independent mind enough to to at least for their news elsewhere. So Gates. Uh, you, you know, is very independent-minded. He doesn't have every position that we have, but he, he's good and he's independent-minded, which is something what the people are looking for because they figure if he says something, he's going to tell them, you know, what he believes is the truth and that he can be trusted. Glenn Greenwald gives me a lot of encouragement. We've been working with him for a good many years. Oh, yeah. And I think about, well, you know, uh, with his legal expertise and, and constitutional ex expertise, just think of having people like that yeah. in a Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. And at least, you know, maybe we could say 10 years ago, you, they weren't being exposed. And now it's alternative media that some of these people are being exposed and Twitter is doing their share of exposing the alternative views, which are coming into much closer to telling the truth than listening to uh, the major networks. Yeah, exactly. Well, it wasn't only pandering on Ukraine that the Republicans did in their debate. <clears throat> There's also pandering on that same old thing, which is Israel. Let's put up that next clip. This is this is really interesting because this is a clip from it. We're not going to play the, the audio of it, but this is Nikki Haley. Uh, she says, it's not that Israel needs America. America needs Israel. 
And then Citizen Free Press says Nikki Haley is America last, to which Matt Walsh, who writes for the Daily Wire, which has been very friendly to Israel, obviously, he says this is an insane thing for a presidential candidate to say, the very definition of America last. And it's interesting because, you know, she's attacking Ramaswamy, who basically, I think, and I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying it, but was taking more what I would consider a Ron Paul view, which is we should treat Israel like every other country. We don't need to send it billions. Treat it like a grown-up, the grown-up that it is, and let them do their own thing. Don't push them around, and don't send them a check. And, of course, everyone flipped out. But, you know, this is nothing new. I remember back in 96 when Netanyahu first won. Now, he was a real maverick back then, and that was one of the, the planks in his platform. And I go back, I might be wrong slightly on the year, but I remember him saying, we don't want to have these strings attached to us by the U.S. We want to do our own thing. So it's nothing radical. It's nothing anti-Israel to say this, but Nikki Haley asked, acted as if Ramaswamy just, I don't know, burned an Israeli flag or something. Yeah, you know, and, and, and to me, you, you know, the principle of trading with people and, and having relationship with them, why can't that be with everybody other than those who, you know, the extremists are starting bombing you for some reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, there's always an end point, but for that part, and, and besides, there's no part of our constitution that spelled it out the proper way you take money from poor people in this country and give it to rich people around the world to fight their wars and it hardly ever ha helps anybody except s some of our corporate interests you know the military industrial complex just think of the ukraine war has it really helped the ukrainians no 400,000 killed and it's 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 the center of a, a world conflict right now that could get much worse so this uh, this to me it makes no no sense whatsoever. So if you try to visualize, well, what would it be like if there was no no empire like America to solve all these problems? Well, you know, it's the empire that drives this thing. You know, I think that's one of the things that that especially some of the hockey, especially the strong hawks, is sort of a patriotic thing. That if you don't do it, if you I, I, I recall that when when I was involved more directly in this, that not supporting. The wars meant you were unpatriotic in some way, and you weren't supporting the troops, you weren't supporting the taxpayers, you weren't supporting the, you know, the area of peace, and you've given up and they've used all those wonderful reasons why you should have your blinders on, don't even think about it, continue with this aggravation and, and and fighting uh, that was liable to get out of hand. And right now, we're still on the verge of that. So I, I hope that uh, between now and the election, there's a lot more common sense. Uh, and we're going to continue to yeah. try to contribute to that because uh, th there could be a change. And uh, certainly, uh, uh, there, there's going to be variations. But I think that there is a growing, that doesn't mean they've been there all the time, but right now there are more Republicans are, are saying, you know, for pragmatic reasons or for whatever. But if they've changed their position to being less authoritarian and, and less interventionist overseas, less spending overseas, less militarism, less support for the military industrial complex, we don't have to talk about what they did 50 years ago. Yeah. No, I, that's a, such a great point, though, because it has been conventional wisdom. If you're unpatriotic, if you don't support the American empire, the U.S. empire, and I think America has moved on, and that's what we see in the polls. They don't want to run the world anymore. They're concerned about things like Maui, you know, people getting 700 bucks in Maui. Well, every, every citizen of Ukraine has the equivalent of $3,700. 
uh, you know, in our tax money. So one thing I want to add, no, there's a lot that don't want to anymore, but there's a lot realizing we're not able to yeah. run anything because because of, uh, you know, I mean, the currency problems and our prestige around the world and the failure. I mean, we're, we're in the midst of a tremendous bankruptcy. And uh, so, so, yes, they don't want to for good reason yeah. because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The ones who want to are the ones who are getting rich. Yeah. I want to bring up another uh, comment because there were so, so many good comments. We could probably do a three-hour show just on comments. We'll <clears> put on that next one. Uh, this is Max Blumenthal's tweet about it. Uh, and Max, as everyone knows, will be speaking at the Ron Paul Institute conference. You won't want to miss him. There's a link in the description to get a ticket. But here's Max's take on it. And I think it's great. And I like it because it actually dovetails with what Glenn Greenwald said, which is this sounds like this sounds old. This sounds like stale bread. Here's what he says. Vivek run the, won the GOP debate by exploiting the ever-growing gulf between the party base and the Republican elite on Ukraine and January 6th, which means Trump won because Vivek is acting as a proxy for the former president whose popularity stabilizes with each weekly indictment. <laughs> he goes on to say, the absence of Trump made the GOP feel like 1996 or 2008 minus Ron Paul. A collection of consultant-driven has-beens and never-will-bees be, never hammering focused grouped talking points while a lukewarm crowd of consultants clapped along like captive seals, clamoring for chum. It amounted to a sideshow side moderated by the Fox News personalities most likely to be hired by CNN. Tommy Thompson and Phil Graham could have been carted into the debate stage and little would have changed. <laughs> A very snappy answer. Yeah, and uh, th th this will have to change, but it certainly would be an advantage to us if, uh, if, if the respect for the Constitution was real. I mean, the Constitution was mentioned a few times last night. They, they generally do that, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're going to follow the Constitution. Yeah. It's, it's just words. Maybe they can find one little thing, but you know, the, the real enemies of liberty would totally destroy it, and that's their whole goal, is to get rid of the Constitution because the guidelines are there, but uh, you also have to have a people wanting to come up with common sense and of course, the uh, the real enemy of liberty I find in government-run education, and uh, that's that's a perpetual problem that we have. But there's some changes coming there too. Some people are getting sick and tired of uh, you know the propaganda, especially in in these uh, social wars that are going on, and the parents are waking up uh, for trying to understand how how harmful they are to their children. The thing is, I think what this makes very, very clear, and I think it also exposes the strategy of a certain layer of the Democratic Party, uh, I think it makes very clear that the only way to stop Trump in this election is to arrest him and put him in jail. I think that's what they think, because I think when they look at the 200 million people watching this, uh, this uh, show, uh, as opposed to like five people watching the debate, it's not, there's just no comparison. So I think that's why this push continues. We've got to do something. We did everything we could. Trump would say they cheated. <laughs> well, they certainly cheated all the four years of Trump's presidency by claiming that he was working for Russia, a total lie. So they lied, they cheated, they stole. 
The only thing they have left is to put him in, in jail, and that seems very likely what they want to do. Yeah, and all these charges, you know, he has about 90-some yeah. uh, charges, maybe crimes that he has committed. And, but the language that they use is always the insurrection. He, yeah. he, has, he has created insurrection, and therefore, he ha we have found out in the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, that those who participated in the insurrection of the Civil War, you know, could never hold public office again. And so they're trying to do that. But it's such, such a lie, because not only if, if they had one-tenth of what they say they have, they would probably charge them with yeah. it. They, they totally ignore it. So it's such a farce. And uh, that's why we still need, we still need the Glenn Greenwalds and the Trumps out there making these states and Tucker, you know, getting the information out because truth will win out. It, it just we have to protect it and guide it. But that is the, that, that is the thing that the, that the authoritarians hate the most, uh, you know, uh, in, in an empire, truth becomes treasonous. So, so they, uh, they rewrite the rules and they continue to do that, but they cannot re rewrite eternal rules. And I don't believe they can destroy all efforts by all people seeking and understanding what truth is really about, no matter how many times they recite their rituals. Yeah, well, you, you, you make the great point and Trump also makes the point with Tucker and this is our final audio clip. This is him and Tucker talking about these indictments, talking about what they're trying to do to him. Let's play that whole third clip. It's not too long, but I think he really does a great job here. The people see it like this horrible district attorney from just a little while ago from essentially Atlanta, that's Fulton County. She said, basically, I don't have any right to challenge an election. Well, what about Stacey Abrams? What about Hillary Clinton? What about all of these Democrats that are still challenging my election? The same people that are saying he's challenging an election challenged my election. And they did it with slates. They did it with all sorts of things that were very bad, very bad about it. But basically, they're suing me and they're saying, you don't have any right to challenge. And if you challenge an election, we're going to indict you and put you in jail. So what? they're doing is they're really they've weaponized and and don't kid yourself the doj and biden and the whole group they're watching all of the one of the things that i thought should have been done i mean it was out there but it wasn't emphasized and the, the, the defense on the side of trump should have been and he just did it in, in, in many ways but it should be simplified our position is very simple count all the votes yeah that's all we're demanding is you count all the votes you can't cheat no just count all the votes but if you just stuck to count all the votes now who could be against that well the people who are losing yeah. because and uh, and they want to uh, change it but to turn that around and make it a crime where people are going to jail it, you can't even be an advisor to the president they suffer the same consequences yeah, yeah. you know just because they advise the president it's it sort of reminds me of what happens in uh, in lockdown and and the lockdown ahead, that doctors couldn't even talk to their patients, uh, even though they were prescribing drugs that were legal and good. Yeah. And at, at the same time, they'll put them in a prison and punish them uh, for this. And, uh, and and there's supposed to be a doctor-patient relationship too. On you know what is going on, it shouldn't even be a, the information shouldn't even be available. Same way with uh, anybody who had any association and maybe had a one-minute phone call with somebody 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, it was collusion. They're, 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 they're 
planning the insurrection. Yeah. Well, I think the thing about that clip is that America can see what Trump is saying because it's very simple. How is it that Stacey Abrams and Hillary Clinton can do the exact same thing they're accusing me of doing, but they get off scot-free and I'm going to jail? And I think most people, even people good-hearted on the other side, would say, you know, that does kind of make sense. It doesn't seem fair. Um, the people have a blind hatred for Trump and they won't, can't see through that. But I think the majority of rational people would say it's not fair. You can't you can't do that. You know, you can't if challenging an election sends you to jail. We've got some big problems here. <laughs> right. And uh, this is the whole thing. This might be the biggest issue of the day is uh, will the results of the election under today's rule, you know, next year be acceptable as as an honest election. And I don't think, I don't. Th I wonder what the polls would show. I'll bet, uh, you, you know, not many Americans, not a high percentage of them, oh yes, this is one thing that we have. We have yeah. honesty in election. So if we just have this honest election next year and, uh, Oh yeah, but we have a, we have the judges and Soros has you know taught these individuals to practice the law and if you, and all of a sudden if we just have this election it, the problems will be solved. But uh, I, I think that that is impossible. For, I don't think the American people are anywhere close to that. Matter of fact, as time goes on, I'm afraid the division on the trust in the election is going to be uh, much worse because there are going to be more people see the the. Uh, uh, you know, inconsistency of the Hillary's getting off at the same time finding out, well, you mean, you mean they didn't count all the votes in Arizona? Yeah, I, yeah. I think, I think they missed a couple. Yeah, <laughs> a couple, yeah, exactly. Well, let's put this next one on because I've, I, and I'll preface this by saying I, I've never been a big fan of Giuliani. There's a lot of things about him I don't like, and I think that's true for a lot of Americans. But put on this next clip because I think it's very important. And this is Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown. I've been on his show. He's a great pro-liberty uh, podcaster. Um, and I think he makes some great points here. Now, you can see this mugshot of Giuliani. I kind of like that look. It's sort of <laughs> like a, a New York, you know, tough guy look. But he, here's what uh, Clint says. Set aside how you feel about Giuliani. Do you want to live in a country where your attorneys are prosecuted when they give you legal advice? Where they rack up legal bills just for defending you? Elite attorneys will turn you away. You'll be helpless. A weaponized judiciary is extraordinarily dangerous and must be fought back against hard, regardless of your political tribe. This is a danger to everyone. To which I say, Clint, excellent job. I think he really captures perfect. doesn't matter what you think about Giuliani. And you know, the big difference is, is who has the guns, who yeah. has the most guns. And I think there's a group of people in this country that would uh, have no problem with taking away all the guns, except for these people who know, you know, exactly what right and how the election should should be run. So this is a this is something that I think is very, very dangerous because they're controlling the judicial system and they're controlling the political system, the educational system. And yet. Believe it or not, Daniel, I still have that sinking, not sinking, but that good feeling that uh, there's reasons to be hopeful. The, the reason why I stay hopeful is because I know uh, and understand what true liberty is all about. 
And the, the problem isn't saying, oh, liberty's bad. It's only half good. That's why we have to do you know, ABC and all this stuff. But liberty is so beneficial. The only problem is it's just waking up a few more people yeah, <laughs> to yeah. accept the notion that the founders were on the right track instead of saying, well, if there's some things that are old fashioned in the Constitution, there's a way you change it. Yeah. And it's not with guns. It's yeah. not the way you take over the judicial system, the medical system, the educational system, and, and, and then take the guns away from the people. And if you say anything, if you say boo, that you uh, can't even talk to your attorney or they'll put the attorney in prison. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, you know, with that said, let's go to the next one. Here's I just picked that NPR beat because what's happening the day after Trump's amazing triumph with the 200 million people watching his interview, he's going to have to march down to a courtroom and get a mugshot. <laughs> this is NPR. Trump is likely to finally get his first real mugshot. Does it matter? Uh, does it matter? Yes, it does in a way, because I think not the way the NPR would like for it to matter. And I'll just say one thing, you know, I, I started watching the Rocky movies with my kids. I think they're old enough now to watch it. Um, and it th does remind me of Trump. And Trump is sort of taking on that figure of Rocky. He's beat up. All the elites hate him. He's punched up. He's beat up. And, but he triumphs in the end. America loves that kind of story. That's why the Rocky movies were enormously successful. Everyone loves that. And by attacking him, they're actually doing him such a favor because they're putting him in the role of Rocky. <laughs> that's good analogy. Yeah, I think that's perfect. So, and you know, it's sort of pulling pull for the underdog. I don't, I don't watch sporting events closely. I love sports and participated, and and I like to watch the uh, reviews. You know, but I don't sit and watch that uh, all day. But when the kids are watching and they're all gathered around watching this important football game, I only ask a couple questions. Who's playing? Where, where are they playing? Who's the underdog? <laughs> yeah. And then I'm, all, I always, I'm always pulling for the underdog because yeah. what is, is there going to be a surprise? Well, there, there's a, quite a few underdogs out there right now. But uh, maybe the sympathy for the underdog, like you say, the sympathy is growing for Trump. Yeah. No matter how hard they, the more they beat him up, the more sympathy people have. Yeah. And, uh, and when, once it, it overwhelms, you know, just like the politicians on that stage last night, they were... Uh, they were cautious about expressing they were they they had to know uh, what the political uh, expression was or the support and uh, but the more pressure they get from the people the more they're more likely to go and say you know as enough is enough and we better not do it because maybe maybe he'll be president someday yeah. <laughs> well I'm about to close out Dr. Paul if you think we're done and I'm just gonna I have some really good news I just before the show started, I got an email from our PR guy, and he showed me, if you could put on that last clip, that the AP, Associated Press, has picked up a release about our upcoming conference. This is great news for us. Uh, AP writes, Colonel Doug McGregor and other freedom advocates to speak at the 7th Annual Ron Paul Peace and Prosperity Conference in D.C. A lot of people are going to see this release. You do have an opportunity to get your tickets before they're gone and come to the event and again, in the description, I do have a link where you can grab those tickets. Uh, there's a lot more interest now with Doug McGregor having been on Tucker just a couple of days before uh, President Trump was on. Uh, he's going to be there. Max Blumenthal, as I mentioned, he's going to be literally everyone you want to hear from right now in this country is going to be there. So you need to be there as well. Uh, so get those tickets. Dr. Paul. Wonderful.
Looking forward to it. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to mention a total principle that will uh, sort of be related to what we've been talking about. Because I think the big picture is who writes our laws, because it was intended that the Congress uh, uh, would be writing the laws and there'd be ways to sort, sort this out. And there would be separation of powers and all those things everybody knows about. But uh, the laws were not supposed to be written by the president, the executive branch, not the uh, bureaucrats, and uh, writing regulations. And uh, the courts weren't supposed to do that either. But courts write laws too. They, they don't just uh, uh, you know, say, well, this, uh, this is unconstitutional, it's, it's, it's a conflict. They rewrite it too. So they're in the ball of it. And then this has been developed, and nobody even seems to question this anymore. And the one person, a few, I don't want to say too many names, have suffered dire consequences because they fought the IRS by being unconstitutional on the collection of it. Anyway, the collection of it. But in the tax collection, which is a big deal because I claim the income tax is a, a form of slavery. The government owns everything you own, uh, uh, everything you earn, unless you know, they allow you to keep a certain part. But what, what about the, the IRS? That, that principle is you're, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. And that, that's generally what happens now. Oh, okay, we have uh, grand juries. They're supposed to sort all that out and not to be charged. But the grand jury system, you know, uh, it's, you're guilty now. And not many people can win a case after the grand jury, uh, you know, uh, uh, rules on you. But it's done in secret. The opposition, the defenders aren't even allowed to speak there. So that, that is not a good system of, of justice. And everything is affected by that because all the property arguments and contracts and wars and foreign policy and monetary policy all depend on who is the authority. And uh, I, I just think people should look at the system that we were given by the Constitution and the founders, and we could realize with more certainty that, you know, it's a pretty good system, but we haven't followed the rules, and that's the why we're in such a mess. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.